is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And I'm Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 543, recorded Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. All right. I am glad you did the opening because I was looking at my notes and I'm pretty sure they say 534. And that's what I would have said, because if it's written in front of me, I say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very Ron Burgundy of you. It really is. So good thing you did the intro this time, as you always do on our feedback shows. And uh, that's just what this is. It's a feedback show for the first two episodes of season 11. Super, super. We will get into the feedback in a moment, but I want to just talk about the viewership numbers for a second before we get started here. And part one of the season premiere of season 11 had 2.22 million viewers. Part two had 1.99. So uh, pretty close to two, but not quite. And I will just give a quick recap of other recent viewership numbers. Season 10, episode 16, which was the you know original season finale of season 10 before the six bonus episodes, that one had 2.73 million. And season 10 before that was averaging a little over 3 million per uh, episode. So we're down a bit. Yeah, we're down a bit. And then the bonus episodes were all um, a little bit, well, all around the 3 million marks, most of them a little bit over, although the lowest one was Diverged, the Carol making soup and chasing a rat episode. That one had mm-hmm. under two. So um, we are down a little bit, but not really significantly, I wouldn't say. If we're getting... You know, our average for the first two is just above 2 million. That's not too far off of what season three was, but you're right, down a little. Yeah. I have, uh, I have no comment. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine. It's not yeah. horrible. It's not great. Uh, it seems pretty, you know, right down the line. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I can't even say good job. I just, I, all I can say is you're doing your job. It's, it's pretty expected. Actually, you know, when we look at the trend lately, we are very, the the decline in numbers has slowed somewhat, I would say, but it's, uh, it's still going down. Although I got to think there's sort of a, a minimum. Is there a word for that? Like a critical minimum that it's not going to go below because there's a certain number of people that are just going to be watching till the end, no matter what. The floor. It's a floor. <laughs> is it a critical floor? Is that what? Well, it's... you got the ceiling and the floor, right? You got a yeah. floor value. It's uh, it's the it's the it's the minimum. I guess it's so. Yeah, uh, it's not really the minimum. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not. It's the ceiling. Like it's not hasn't reached the ceiling and it hasn't yet reached the floor. But it's uh, it's right there. I mean, I was kind of thinking of like the a term for the opposite of critical mass, but I know that critical mass isn't really the right term for the opposite of what I'm thinking of, if that makes any sense. Trivial mass? uh, Trivial, I don't know. Anyways. Serendipitous mass? (laughs) (laughs) All of these are funny and not perfect. So I think, I think, you know, floor is actually a good, a good uh, term for it. There's going to, we're going to hit a a floor where it'll just stay steady. And those are the people that are going to watch no matter what to the end. We are amongst that crowd, of course, and there's a lot of people that are, 
as well, I think, but foundational we'll, we'll see the foundational number it's just like it's the foundation the the viewership is uh basically the uh uh you know the the foundation of of what the show well who watches the show yeah the foundation audience basically yeah they will always be watching no matter what no matter what you do they're going to watch to the end i wonder if there's a tv industry term for this but if not i'd like to coin it right here and it will be foundation audience Foundation audience, yeah. And nomenclature is hard, and English yeah. is dumb. So, you know, put those two things together, and it's amazing we can understand each other at all. Uh, all right. Well, the foundation audience, I don't think it's quite been hit yet, but we are on our way there. Sure. All right, Jason, let's get into our uh, feedback for Season 11, Episodes 1 and 2. Listener feedback. Alrighty, we have a bunch of emails, a bunch of calls. The first group here, I think, are a little bit more about episode one. And at times, it will be obvious that some of these messages came in before episode two aired. But I tried to choose things and organize things a little bit so that wasn't too much of a problem. But our first email here comes from Tallahassee on the internet. And he says, great set piece opening. He's talking about the uh, uh, hangar infiltration at the beginning of episode one. Yep. He says, I love tension set pieces without dialogue. They draw you in close. The viewer is the sleeping zombie. Not sure, other than for the drama, why the raid didn't take place during the day or why they didn't shepherd the undead outside into a corral for disposal or even consider the building as a better alternative to the compromised Alexandria. So he loved it, but had a bunch of questions. Yeah, there's some, uh, there's some, you know, uh, plot holes you could drive a truck through. Well, I don't know if I'd like, say. Why didn't they go through? If they were, if they cut through the ceiling, why couldn't they cut through the wall of where they were going? Well, I mean, they opened it a had skylight. a locked door. They opened a skylight. They didn't like blow a hole in the concrete wall, but presumably, yes, there would have been a door, possibly a big like roll-up garage door type thing. It is a hangar, after all. Yeah, you can get through a wall pretty easy. You know, some hand tools, a couple of, uh, what do you call them, sledgehammers mm -hmm. and chisels and various such things. Maybe there was a window. You know, can you get through a skylight easier than you can get through a window? Yeah. I mean, well, maybe. You got to get on top of the building first, I suppose. But <laughs> it is a ladder. Yeah. It is a good question, though. Like, this building seems like it would be pretty secure. It's already full of food. You don't have to steal it then. But to be fair, there's a lot of zombies in there. But you're right. If you could lure them out somehow, it could be a good place to hole up, as they say. Although, you know, they like Alexandria. They want to rebuild Alexandria. That's where they want to be. So I don't blame them for just going for the food and trying to get in and out. So hangers have skylights? Is that, is that a thing? That's not a thing, is it? I've not been in very many hangers. I've been in some hangers. Don't get me wrong. But... I don't recall any skylights in a hangar. No, you're probably right. But they needed a they needed a way in from the roof, so they they wrote in a skylight, I guess. Oh, there you go. You know, <laughs> it's one of those magic paintbrushes. They used an Acme portable hole. They just <laughs> threw it on the roof, and away they went. There you go. That's pretty handy to have when you need it. I think. Yeah, I've got one in my pocket right now. <laughs> Stuff keeps falling out. That's funny. Uh, get it? Get yeah. it? Anyway, I sure do. <laughs> Uh, next, we have an email from Matt in South Wales. Just my two pence worth on the matter of the sleepers in the hangar. I believe the walkers essentially will roam endlessly until they find a food source. However, as they do not eat each other and 
Here they are at P, uh, in a place of uh, no escape. I think they go into a sort of a shutdown slash hibernation stasis in order to conserve themselves. If memory serves, we have seen this before. Wasn't there an episode when some walkers that were in a tent become animated when they sense people nearby? Or even referencing the pilot when Rick was on the horse, he passes a walker sitting on a bus that only moves when he senses Rick. I believe the walkers in the hangar would have eventually stirred, but the smell of Daryl's blood on the walker's face was a triggering point, not so much the feeling of blood dripping onto him. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit about how the show hasn't really done much with the concept of lurkers, which comes, you know, way back from the beginning, the comic lurkers versus uh, roamers, is it? Yeah, roamers and lurkers. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess when you think about it, the show kind of has, because I remember that scene that Matt is talking about where Rick's on a horse and there's a walker on a bus that sort of gets up and moves as, as Rick goes by. So we have seen zombies that just sit there and don't move until there's some sort of stimulus. And I do think it, I guess, makes sense that the blood dripping down on the walker's face was more a smell thing than, than the feeling of it. Uh, because, you know, we do know that zombies smell stuff and that's right beside his nose. So it makes some sense, I guess. I I guess so. And, you know, now that I think about it, that's pretty much the principle I behave on that, uh, I just don't move unless, uh, acted on by an external force. And then it's a, a conversation of, do you really need me to get up and help or play with you or do something? And generally, Daddy, I, need the answer, some, I want I want some uh, I want some water. It's like, well, how badly do you want some water, and or can you get it yourself? Right. I thought you were going to say like I basically sit around and don't move until I smell something that that <laughs> stimulates me. So you know, I'm sitting on the couch, staring at the wall, and all of a sudden I smell hamburger cooking. Oh and, God, that'd I be mean, nice. You're going to get up for that, right? I would really enjoy that. Generally speaking, I'm the one who makes the food, so it doesn't really work that way, but. Damn it, that feels like a really nice thing to have happen <laughs> in some uh, some far-off future where somebody makes me a hamburger. Well, I hope for your sake somebody someday makes you a hamburger. It yeah. might even be me. You never know. Sure. Why not? You know, All make right. a hamburger. Come on over. My barbecue's burgered. Burgered? Fucked. It's, <laughs> uh, it caught on fire and I haven't bought a new one yet. Like it caught on fire to the fact that you can't use it anymore? Sometimes the food catches on fire, you put it out and everything's fine. No, the outside of the barbecue was on fire. I lit the barbecue to make some hamburgers and I went back in to get the burgers out of the freezer and I walked outside and the outside of the barbecue was on fire, which is not supposed to happen. How does that even happen? Yeah. I I don't know. There's a gas leak somewhere. So I shut everything off. Smart. Waited for it to cool down. I went in there. I checked things out. uh, It feels like it's all falling apart. The barbecue's a decade old. So it's time for a new one, I decided. And, uh, I haven't done that yet. Wow. I'm just glad it didn't explode or something on you. Me too. Right. Which is why everything shut down and I'm not messing with it. I'm not going to try and fix it because that's just a recipe for an explosion. So time for a new barbecue. That's it. Okay. Well, fair enough. When you get one, I'll come over and cook a hamburger for you on it. That sounds lovely. And that'll be enough to get you up out of your lawn chair and into the The hammock. At that point, I'll be lying in the hammock. Oh, okay. (laughs) With, with Squippy. Your squirrel friend. My squirrel friend. Did I, was, was I telling that story on the air or was it afterwards? Yeah, no, last week. I'm pretty sure you brought it up. Okay, good. Well, I didn't want to have to explain it 
again if uh, I didn't have to. So fair enough. Yeah, me and Squippy will hang out in the hammock uh, while you make a burger. That cool, sounds nice. All right, thanks, Matt, for that email. Next is Gemma in South Wales, and Gemma says, "Okay, so Negan was the biggest part of the episode for me, and his dynamic with the group and Maggie." I know I shouldn't, but I feel sorry for him when no one would listen to him about going into the subway being a stupid idea. It was, and Negan was right. I wouldn't go in there. Instead, wait for the rain to pass on the steps and then go back out. But I guess then we wouldn't have an episode. He also saved that kid from a disgusting walker and no one helped him. But then he mentions Glenn. Not good, Negan. I think he may have a death wish and uh with a death wish with it when it comes to maggie but he wants to die on his own terms his decision to not help maggie climb on the train car did shock me as we have been used to seeing negan lately rescue people but i think he thought that this woman wants me dead and he seized on the opportunity but it doesn't make it right in my eyes i hope maggie kicks his ass for it because i don't believe for a second she's in real trouble so yeah, clearly well, we know now that she wasn't and everything's fine, but, uh, you know, I just thought this was interesting because here we have another, uh, slight Negan apologist in a way, which I feel like I'm part of the crowd too. Yeah. Well, Maggie did take a, take a swipe at him with a pistol, right? And that's no small thing. Getting pistol whipped is uh, very ouchy, I would assume. Uh-huh. Cause it's, it's, it, you know, they're, they're not made of plastic. It's not like a wiffle ball bat that, uh, that you're getting whacked with. It's a, it's a piece of hardened steel. Yep. It's uh, it's no small matter. That's a, that's a teeth losing opportunity right there. Yeah. Or in any other movie, it's like a, you're knocked out every time sort of situation when you get pistol whipped. Oh yeah. Cause, uh, uh human beings in movies and television have off buttons. Right. You touch them in their off button. They're out like a light. Like when you punch them in the face or knock two heads together or, uh, Hit them with a pistol. They're just, you know, lights out. It's, if there's one thing I know from movies, that seems to be a universal truth. So for this, I assume that uh, Negan, like he, she, she whacked him right in the face, right? So I assumed he spit out a couple of teeth and uh, had a bloody mouth there for about 15 or 20 seconds until they grew back. Because <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. I think you might be right. And I think that might come up again later in this episode. All right. Well, good. All right, next we have an email from Gabby in Texas. Here are my thoughts regarding why Maggie said that herself from six years ago is the only thing keeping Negan breathing. Six years ago was when Rick let Negan live, but Maggie was still determined to kill him. So she marched down to the cell in Alexandria with her mighty crowbar to bash his head in a la Glenn. When she forced him out of the cell and into the light to confront him, he begged her to kill him and she saw how weak and defeated he was and deemed him already worse than dead. This is the Maggie that I thought she was referring to in the subway, since this is the only time I can recall her being okay with Negan being alive. Yeah, you know, Gabby, I think that's a, a great point and a, more than just a theory probably, right? She went in all those years ago to kill Negan, to basically exact her revenge. And if you remember, she had a conversation with Michonne right outside the door uh, before yep. she went in, I think. And, and she gets there and realizes that Negan seems like a pretty broken man who at that point just wanted to be you know, disposed of. <laughs> and, uh, she decided that he's already worse than dead. So leave him living. But in the six years prior or not prior in the six years since then, um, she's become, she's 
become something else. She's not that woman anymore that looked at him and decided you're, you're as good as dead anyways. And now she's come around to the idea of actually wanting to kill him. Uh, maybe because she's returned and sees that he's kind of joined, you know, he's not in jail anymore. He's joined the community a little bit and he does have more freedom. So I wonder if that kind of influences along with all of her experiences in the interim, you know, her reasons for wanting to kill him now. Yeah. And I'm wondering now, uh, this is exactly what happened in The Hobbit. I don't know if you recall that part of The Hobbit, but oddly enough, I'm reading The Hobbit to my son as a bedtime story. Okay. He, he loves it. It's kind of scary and gross in places, but he absolutely loves it. And last night was the, uh, the riddles for the ring, that particular chapter where Bilbo had the ring in his pocket in uh, deep under the mountain. Uh, he escaped from the, uh, from the goblins and he's, he stumbles across uh, Gollum and they start having riddles. And the last riddle was, what have I got in my pocket? And, and Gollum can't guess, but he wants to kill Bilbo, but Bilbo escapes using the ring. And at the very last second, Bilbo has the opportunity to kill Gollum and has the, uh, so he has his sword sting uh, and he has the ring on, so he's invisible. So Gollum can't see him. And he needs to get past Gollum to get out outside the uh, outside of the cave, and he wants to kill him. Like he's like, I should kill this creature because he would do this. He would kill me in return, and he wants to, uh, but he lets Gollum live and jumps over him because fall, uh, hobbits are very fleet of foot and can jump very high. Apparently, okay. So uh, he lets Gollum live, and the reason he lets him live is because he's such a pitiful creature. He's been living for hundreds of years under a mountain, in the cold, in the dark, uh, afraid of everything, eating raw fish, never talking to anybody but himself. And he just seems such, such a pitiful, broken creature that he decides to not kill him then and there uh, and to just kind of get past him in this hobbity way and get out of the, uh, out of the mountain. And that obviously uh, sort of comes back to haunt him. Because the whole reason that uh, uh, that the ring race, you know, storm into the Shire to get Frodo was because Gollum uh, was looking for him and started, you know, spewing words like Baggins Shire left, mm -hmm. right, and center all over the place uh, and started that whole thing going. But then he kind of redeems himself again later by uh, leading Frodo and Samwise Gamgee uh, to Mount Doom. Sorry to recap and or spoil <laughs> both the uh, Hobbit and... Lord of the Rings. You're recapping the whole story here for us. <laughs> but it's 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 apt, right? Because yeah. Maggie lets him live because he's such a pitiful, broken creature. Uh, and whether or not that comes back to haunt her uh, remains to be seen, right? She comes back and he's a little more um, ingrained into, into the society and not just this broken creature in a cell that she left. Uh, and the only, and I, I, I agree with, uh, with Gabby that... Uh, that that Maggie from six years ago that let him live out of pity, essentially, uh, is the only thing that uh, leaves him breathing at this moment. Well, at that moment, and now she doesn't feel that way anymore. So she's, as she said, you know, actively or sort of passively trying to kill him, actually. But right. at, at the end of the day, wants to kill him. So it does and, se and, seem similar. And, and Negan's the guide, much like Gollum was leading Frodo and Samwise to Mount Doom. Yep. Uh, you know, Negan, Gollum, Negan, Gollum, uh, <laughs> coincidence, I'm not sure, uh, is now guiding them through, uh, you know, through this 
despicable area in order to, I don't know what the goal is. Nobody has a ring that I know of. Well, supplies. So, so they're not trying to get yeah. rid of something. They're trying to gain something in this case. But you're right. Negan is apparently leading them through, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense in many ways. But there are definitely story parallels there. And it may just be that this is sort of common story template for good story, yeah. but not necessarily, you know. Okay. Well, I guess we can we can definitively say without any question of a doubt in my mind that uh, the Walking Dead is a hodgepodge mishmash of uh Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Star Wars, and Battlestar Galactica. Sure, and probably other things too. Maybe. Maybe, but Maybe. at least at least those four for sure, right? Yeah, those four for sure. All right. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Gabby, for that clarification. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's move on to a call from Yolanda. Hi, guys. This is Yolanda in Atlanta, and I am so glad Walking Dead is back. Man, am I glad. I've been waiting since the pandemic, and here we are. So here is my feedback on season one, season 11, episode one. Okay, is it just me? Am I the only one that tears up every time I see little Glenn Jr. or whatever his name is? Every time I see him in that baseball hat, I just get so sad that Glenn is gone. And I hope that you guys give a warning that anybody who hasn't doesn't know that Glenn is gone, I just gave it away. But anyway, I get really teary-eyed. Second thing, Maggie and Daryl were kind of dogging Negan out. And yeah, I get why they were dogging him out. But I mean, along the timeline, I think he's done plenty of things to kind of try to get back in the good graces. He's rescued Judith from the cold winter snow and he's done all kind of stuff to kind of get back in everybody's good graces. So at some point, they need to either accept him or let it go or just tell him he can't be with them, but they just can't continue to dog him like this and think that he's still going to give them directions along the way. My mother used to say to me, you got to be real careful whose butt you're kicking today because that might just be the same butt you got to kiss tomorrow. So to Maggie, I would say to her, Maggie, you in danger, girl, because Maggie has been nothing but evil to Negan and now she needs Negan to help her and Negan really could care less. So anyway, have a great vacation and uh, I'll see you when you go. I'll hear from you guys when you come back. I'll be listening on the podcast. Bye. Thanks, Yolanda. Uh, first of all, little Glenn Jr., whose name is Herschel, is indeed adorable. I agree. I yep. think the casting on that is spot on. <laughs> well, he's got the hat, right? It's true. It's, it's, uh, the hat is a big selling point. It, it really, it really sells it. It really does. That kid looks like it could be Stephen Young's or Glenn's son. And hats are important on this show. Rick had a hat. Carl yeah. got it. Judith has it. Uh, and now this hat comes straight, straight out of the Glenn handbook. Hats are important in real life too. I don't know if you know this, but it's been a decade since I left the house without wearing a hat. I know. I did know that. You've told me before. Yeah. I always, always, always wear a hat. So does Jasper, actually. Now that I think about it, we always get him to wear his hat. Oh, good. I mean, it's just good for sun protection and things like that. So good plan. Yeah, good in the summer, good in the winter. It's all good. And that's right. 
Uh, and then the other thing, you know, Yolanda talking about Negan and, and Maggie and stuff. And I really liked her mother's words. Be careful whose ass you're kicking today because tomorrow you might have to kiss it. That sounds like good advice. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, I don't know. My mother has never said that to me. It's a good, it's some good advice, but usually the way I think of it is uh, be careful who you're an asshole to on the road because uh, you might end up being right you know, pulling in right next to them uh, because they're your neighbor or visiting your neighbor. And then you have to have a conversation with them. It's not just, you know, anonymous. Uh, they cut you off. So you honk your horn and throw a finger or something like that. Just be chill. You know, you know what? Kill them with kindness. Like be nice. That's what you want to do. Be nice to each other, people. Yeah. And maybe Chris, you can explain to me what uh, dogging them out means. I'm not sure I understand that phraseology. Well, I think just giving him a hard time. Like, you know, okay. Maggie, Maggie's given Negan a hard time about a lot of things. And, uh, you know, some people have said that he's, he's at this point just trying to get by. He's kind of just trying to fit in. Doesn't take away from the terrible things he's done, but uh, um, it must be hard traveling with someone who pretty actively wants to see you dead. Yeah. You I know? Can, uh, I can well imagine. That's right. From experience. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, we have a call from Jake. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Jake from the UK. Uh, long time listener, first time calling in. I've just uh, been thinking about the uh, situation with the bodies in the subway. I thought maybe the flood pushed them that way up to the uh, the train cart. Uh, just a thought. I don't know if you wanted to uh, speculate a bit further. Uh, love the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks, Jake. So I guess he's talking about all the bodies in the in the plastic bags in the subway tunnel there. And mm. if they collected there because of previous flooding, which I guess is possible, but they also, Negan, I think, mentioned that it's some kind of mass grave. So it does also seem like at some point, what they were saying early on in the zombie apocalypse people were sticking dead people in plastic bags and just dumping them down there. Whether they've moved around due to floodwaters, I don't know. Could be possible, though. Jake, uh, you have to call the uh, the writers of uh, Walk The Walking Dead and get them to retroactively use that as an explanation because uh, Negan's explanation of a graveyard doesn't make any sense, which we talked about because they'd have to drag all those bodies all the way down there. Mm -hmm. So floodwaters picking up a bunch of bodies in plastic bags and uh, dragging them to the lowest point uh, where the water empties. Why would the water empty out of there? Anyway, uh, let's assume the water empties out of there uh, and leaves the bodies. That's a much better explanation. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, maybe that's what those uh, small round side tunnels were for that Daryl was climbing through. Maybe that's like... Um, uh, body access. Maybe they're just throwing dead bodies down those tunnels and they all landed right there. Right. Maybe, you know, yeah, it's all, it, it's, you know, secondary, maybe the, the original plan for this uh, subway tunnel was a mass grave in the case of, uh, you know, some kind of global pandemic and or war. Uh, and then, you know, while you're at it, while you're digging tunnels, might as well put a subway drain in there. Right. Sure. I mean, if you're going to build a, build a tunnel to throw zombie bodies in, might as well make it useful as transportation before the fact. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, win-win. Win-win. 
Thanks, Jake. Uh, all right, next is an email from Dan, Dan in Durant, Iowa. Uh, I don't mind that they yada yada over the prison break. They hit the interesting parts. Princess's weird perception ability and Yumiko's brother. We've seen that style prison break before. It's not new or particularly interesting. However, if they keep skipping over details like the prison break or gathering up of the fighters uh, or how far the fighting party traveled before getting to the subway, etc., this show will run into the same problem that Game of Thrones had with its last season when people and events seem to be moving at warp speed. That could be problematic. The difference between this show and Fear the Walking Dead is this. Taking the subway, stupid, but believable. Rebuilding and flying a crashed plane, stupid Uh and unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a quick comparison there. He's trying to say at the end that, you know, yes, it's stupid taking the subway, uh, walking through the subway tunnels, but kind of believable because you're, you're escaping the weather, you're potentially escaping a lot of, you know, dangerous zombies on the surface. Uh, whereas on fear, rebuilding a flying crash plane, that's stupid and unbelievable. So fear it's has, dumb. has improved since, since that happened. I will say that, but you know, I, I get his point. Remember the hot air balloon? Oh, I do. That the hap- big, the big that, beer balloon. Yeah, that happened too. Don't forget that. It sure did. All right. So we're, we're just going to gloss over the last season of Game of Thrones, uh, I hope. Uh, well, we're, uh, we're not going to talk about Game of Thrones, but the point of you know, the other point Dan is making is that, yeah, Game of Thrones in season one and season two, the distances between cities and communities was obvious. It was massive. In, yes. Yeah. And in the final season of Game of Thrones, whatever year that was, they threw all that out and people just seemed to be wherever they needed to be at any given moment. And The Walking Dead might be there might be a chance that it falls into that trap a little bit. I kind of hope not, but I can see why it's tempting for writers. And even if it's not on purpose, like they just are are trying to tell a story and traveling between places is not interesting usually. And if it's not part of the story, they're just going to skip over it. Now, having said that, we've just had two episodes where there's a party traveling from point A to point B and it's taken two full episodes and they're not even there yet. So it doesn't maybe seem like Walking Dead is going that way, but who knows? We've still got lots of episodes to come and people could jump around, you know, all over the place for all we know. Yeah. And remember when they got to, uh, when when they got to the Smithsonian to get that wagon and they were just there, right? That was the beginning of the season. I forget what season that was, but they were just there. There was no travel to get there to and from. But uh, So we've seen that kind of thing before, and I'm willing to sort of forgive it. I mean, Game of Thrones is uh, was bad uh, because, like you say, everybody was where they needed to be. With They just kind of glossed over the, uh, the travel to get there. And fast travel is a problem. Right, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a problem in video games. <laughs> Specifically, I've been thinking of the Fallout series, uh, Fallout Four, which I was playing. Uh, fast travel is a, is a very real option. As soon as you discover a place, you can fast travel to that place from any other place, mm-hmm. and so you just kind of bounce around and go wherever you want. And I found that jarring uh, at the beginning of playing that game. So uh, at one point, I decided to never use fast travel. 
because I wanted to get uh, a feeling for where everything was in relation to everything else and how far away it was. So I realized that it increased the length of time I played that game, which, you know, ran into the hundreds of hours. But I think I enjoyed it better because even now I can mentally pinpoint where everything is in that game. I remember it still. So, uh, and I think since then I've decided never to use fast travel. And I would never in Game of Thrones, it's tough. As a storytelling device, it's tough, right? Because the, like the first few seasons of Game of Thrones or even in, in any other show, getting from point A to point B, you have to tell a story during that journey, right? It, there needs to be a story, which is what we have in the subway tunnel. Like you say, there's a story that takes place on that journey. If we don't have a story to tell during that journey, why show the journey? Don't show it, exactly. But then you run, if you do that too much, you get Game of Thrones, if I may <laughs> use that as a verb now, uh, which could also be used to describe many other things sure. that are not <laughs> fantastic. But uh, fast travel is, uh, is a tricky, tricky situation in storytelling. Yeah, 100%. And we've seen that happen on this show. You know, when we used to have the kingdom and hilltop, People would move between the two and there wasn't always anything going on in between, right? Sometimes we'd see those, those cars converted into horse-drawn carriages with people in them and stuff, and you'd see them leave one place and then next thing you know, they're at the other place. And that's, that's fine. Um, it's, it works maybe because the distances between everywhere on Walking Dead is a little wishy-washy, but it's, I think safe to assume that it's much closer than what we were supposed to believe Westeros was. It was massive, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think Walking Dead has had that problem. I don't even think that, you know, opening the season with, with them in the Smithsonian is a problem because it opens the season. You just have to think, well, they, they got there before they turned the cameras on, right? It's pre-season. Yeah. It's not, it's, they didn't start the season in Alexandria and say, we're going to go on this mission to get the thing at the Smithsonian and then just snap cut, we're there, right? So... That doesn't bother me. I, I think Walking Dead hasn't had that problem yet, but I do think in the final season when they're trying to wrap things up, you know, if they've got a lot of story to tell, they might end up playing a little fast and loose with the getting places. And we'll have to see. We've still got 22 more episodes to go uh, of potentially people moving all over the place. So Right. So, and, you know, speaking of the Smithsonian and while they're in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, word of advice, if you're going to go to the Smithsonian, go get Fonzie's jacket. It's a leather jacket. It's as good as armor against the zombies as anything else. And go pick up a sword or two. I bet you the Smithsonian has some swords you could use. Some real good ones, too, I bet. Yeah. Shiny, fancy, some practical, some decorative. But uh, I'm sure they have uh, they have some they have some shit. And don't they even have a uh, uh, a command capsule from like the Saturn V or something? They got an air and space museum. Bet you there's some shit in there you could use. They have two air and space museums. One right in downtown, and a second one I somewhere outside the city a little bit more. Um, it's amazing. I've been to the downtown air and space museum twice in my life. Once three years ago the oh, second I time. I want to go. And they do. They've got the Moonlander there. They've got, um, what parts, uh, the, the Saturn V, I know they have the, um, the rockets at the bottom of it. Like they, oh, they, yeah. they've got one of those and you get a, you get a sense of how big it was. 
right? Those are big fucking buckets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when you imagine that thing sitting on the bottom of this Saturn V rocket that is how many stories tall, it just gives you an amazing perspective on, my God, that thing was massive. And it's amazing that they could, you know, cause an explosion beneath it that launched it into space. So Yeah, it's like lighting a fire or lighting an explosion uh, at the end of a pencil. And expecting that pencil to fly straight and true all the way to space. It's, it's just fucking crazy. It's pretty incredible, <laughs> actually. But it's amazing. And you're right. There's probably plenty of stuff in the Smithsonian that would be useful in the zombie apocalypse. So uh, Yeah, I bet you even... Uh, they're probably not on display, but I bet you they have some alien ray guns. Oh, probably. <laughs> you know? Yeah, with like some extra power packs and stuff. You it, gotta go get that shit. If humans have ever collected alien ray guns, that's where they are. Yeah. Either that or Area 51, you know. Well, whatever. You yeah. know, travel. We go to the, go to the Air and Space Museum, grab a rocket, head over to Area Fifty One for some ray guns. <laughs> Sounds and good. Some, uh, you know, uh, what what's it called? Uh, classified uh, aircraft. I bet you they have some neat classified aircraft there. Sure, that's what you're gonna do. If if flying around a uh, broken down crashed plane on fear is stupid, I mean, why not just go get a stealth bomber and take that out for a for a spin? <laughs> yeah, and the way you get there. You yada yada your travel over there on a rocket. There you go. Perfect. A little suborbital action get you going. Makes sense to me. All right. Next, we have a call from Trish in Boston. Hey, guys. It's nice to be back for season 11. I think it's pretty plausible to expect that Eugene would be able to pick a lock and that the way Princess was talking, she was friendly with those uh, stormtroopers. So maybe the last two were hanging out because everybody else was off doing something. And she gave them a like, it's a wink, wink. You can go do you. We'll be fine here. Eugene picks the lock. They follow the two, take their stuff. And next thing you know, they're, they're walking out in their uniforms. So that's plausible to me. Thanks, Trish. Uh, I edited Trish's clip down a little bit. So apologies. It sounded a bit awkward, but uh, that's her explanation for how the prison break took place. We've got Eugene picking locks. We've got Princess, you know, doing her thing, and then they're free to just kind of get the armor and walk out of there. So it all hinges on Princess being charming and Eugene picking locks. I don't know if Eugene can pick a lock. He's a little too um, handshaky to pick mm-hmm. a lock. I'd be more like likely to uh, believe Yumiko could pick a lock, uh, mostly because one of the uh, YouTube channels I, I regularly pay attention to is the Lock Picking Lawyer who uh, is very adept at picking a lock. And I assume he's actually a lawyer, even though he doesn't talk about being a lawyer. So Yumiko being a lawyer, I assume she could pick a lock. Makes sense. Lawyers got to know how to do these things, right? Yeah. If YouTube has taught me anything, it's lawyers can pick locks. Perfect. All right, then. Uh, Okay. Next is Justine in NorCal. Justine says, just wanted to say, I really enjoyed this episode. I loved that Negan actually let Maggie fall. Then she came back and they decided to just get past it for now. I loved when the grenade went off in the subway car, super gross. But my favorite part was definitely Princess's sheer joy about a bathroom with toilet paper. She is quickly becoming my favorite character. I mean, I guess you gotta, you gotta think that, uh, after 10 years and you've haven't used toilet paper for like nine and a half of them might be refreshing to come across some. (laughs) Well, and if uh, being in in uh, a global pandec- pandemic has taught us anything, it's uh, hoard your toilet paper because uh, this is a, a very important commodity to uh, people in our society. 
It is. Apparently. Yeah. Well, it's it's the niceties. It's the comforts of life that people don't want to give up. And that is one I'm of I'm sorry. Them. You pronounced that wrong. You meant to say necessities, not niceties. No. <laughs> I was just joking. I don't think toilet paper is a necessity. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe to some it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, she kept saying baño. I talked to my wife about that, and baño is bathroom in Spanish. Oh, there you go. I didn't know Jenny speaks Spanish. <laughs> I guess she knows enough to <laughs> ask for the, where the bathroom is. Sounds like neither did you. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely don't speak Spanish. No. Uh, all righty. Is, uh, is it your turn? It's your turn. Uh, yeah. Uh, next, we have a call from Kate. Hi, this is Kate in San Francisco. I'm calling regarding the second episode of season 11, whose name I can't pronounce. I noticed something very random that might just be me. But anyway, when Daryl is looking at the mural on my DVR at 7 minute 46 seconds, I swear they're portraying Ruth Bader Ginsburg about to punch some guy in a gold crown in a face in his face. I don't know if that's just something I'm hoping it will be because she is this buff, badass woman. And it makes sense to me, right? Because that scene is set in Washington, D.C. And anyway, it also put me in mind, though, whether or not the Walking Dead universe includes like real people, as in is the president of the United States in that world? Was was he Barack Obama or any of the celebrities the same? I seem to remember back when they were at the jail, there was some mention of Tom Waits, but I can't remember. Anyway, that's my several thoughts on this. Um, and I'm not sure if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a as famous beyond the United States as she is here. So maybe a lot of people didn't notice it. And again, maybe I'm making it up. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. Take care, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. So first of all, I didn't really notice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the in the uh, mural. Maybe maybe it was supposed to be her, maybe not. But she, at least as far as I know, is pretty famous even outside yeah. the United States. Like, you know who she is. I think most Canadians was, would. Yeah, it was very sad when in, uh, her passing uh, late last year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We definitely know who she is uh, for sure. And I think that would be fantastic if the mural depicted her punching someone with a crown, let's say, right in the uh, right in the kisser. <laughs> of I think course. that would be fantastic. I think so too. Uh, if it changes or enhances the meaning, whatever it is of this mural that Daryl was looking at, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I am not sure. As for other famous people, people existing in the Walking Dead universe. I, I think that's how it works. Like the Walking Dead universe is the same as ours, except for a couple of key differences. One of those being that zombies take over. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think famous people are famous people. I think we can assume that Barack Obama was the president at the time the zombie apocalypse broke out, uh, which was 10 years ago. And other celebrities just exist. The one other thing that's different is the word zombie I don't think exists. They originally it was never used in The Walking Dead. They didn't know what to call them. So that's why we have walkers and all those sorts of other names for them. But I have a feeling it's come up since then. So I don't know if that's a change sanctioned by Robert Kirkman or if it's just TV show writers taking liberties. But 
overall, I think Walking Dead Universe equals real world with zombies. There you go. Yeah. I, I can't remember, I can't recall any specific references to real world uh, celebrity people. Uh, you know, real world locations, obviously, but uh, I don't recall any specific uh, references to people. Well, Kate mentioned Tom Waits, I think. Does that ring any bells? Well, Tom Waits is a nexus in the multiverse, right? He's pretty much <laughs> there in every single reality sure. there is. So that's, that's, that's a tough one. Sure. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything to reference Tom Waits. I get it. Yeah. Berenstain Bears, Berenstain Bears. It doesn't matter. Tom Waits is Tom Waits. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so that's uh that's a tough one. I'd have to I look forward to the rewatch. These questions are all gonna be answered uh, as I uh go back and finally, finally rewatch an episode uh or the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, after after the ending of this particular show in a couple of years. Well, dude, we're only twenty two away from that, so you're getting closer every day to your beginning the beginning of your rewatch, and maybe mine too. We'll see. <laughs> Yep, that's true. All right, next we have a call from Jason. No, Scott. No. No? Scott? I, no, we just did, well, we did Kate. That yeah. was Kate, right? Okay, you know, you're up. You go, Scott. Okay, I'll go, Scott. Did I not include Scott on your list? No, it's there. Oh. I just, I forgot where we were, I guess. <laughs> okay, so next we have a call from Scott, or somebody. Let's see. Hey, Jason. Hey, Chris. This is Scott from Arkansas. Just calling in with a few thoughts about... Uh, this week's episode. So far, these first two episodes, I've really enjoyed. I like the feel and the um, the just the atmosphere of the show of uh, the uh, last two episodes, give me hope that they're gonna be able to go out with a bang with this last extended season. I had a few nitpicks. In spite of the nitpicks, I still loved the episode. Thought it was great, but a couple of nitpicks, and I thought of Jason as uh, I was watching this because I'm sure at least one or two of them were uh, he probably shares. Uh, the first one is when Maggie pistol whips Negan. How is it that he doesn't, he doesn't even have as much as a bruise, much less an open bleeding wound, which he probably would have in real life if he got pistol whipped. Uh, minor thing, but I noticed that. Uh, and then with the, the, the hand grenade, the fragmentation hand grenade is not going to completely explode into goo all those walkers that are in that car, that train car. Uh, Jason, I'm sure that you can expound more on that with your background and your knowledge of, of stuff like that, but uh, we both know that's not how frag grenade works. But, you know, in spite of that, it looked cool. So I'm going to let it slide. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I uh, can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts on it. Um, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, Scott. So as you can see, you stole Scott's thunder a little bit with the pistol Sorry. whipping thing. But no, no, no problem at all. It's clearly something that uh, more than just you noticed. Uh, but any thoughts on the on the hand grenade turning the zombies into goo rather than just what a, what a normal fragmentation grenade would do? Yeah, I'm going to have to go ahead and assume that the hand grenade was actually uh, an alien goo grenade from the Smithsonian mm-hmm. that they went and picked up. So they got some, uh, well, obviously they're using uh, magic ray guns as well, because we've seen that in the in the fight with the saviors where uh, there was no recoil and no casings being ejected. It's just pew, 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 pew. They look like real guns, but they're actually alien ray guns. Uh, as well as this uh, hand grenade. No, I didn't pick up on that uh, fragmentation grenades. Uh, I know a little bit about them, but not much to be, not enough to be any kind of authority. But 
Yeah, it would. Any grenade in an enclosed space is a real bad idea, especially if you're in that enclosed space. Usually you open a door, throw the grenade in, close the door, and hope the door doesn't blow up uh, kind of thing back at you. Uh, no, not a lot of thoughts on the hand grenade other than, you know, yeah. for goo effect. They just, it's it gooified everybody. Right. Well, that's what Daryl did. He opened the door. I mean, stuck the grenade in the zombie's mouth, kicked it through the door and closed it. So I like that about it. I certainly thought when it happened that, oh, look, that grenade just turned them into mush. It wouldn't do that. But like Scott said, I'm kind of willing to forgive it because it was fun and kind of cool and, you know, looked good. So yeah, what are you going to do? Right. We all, we don't need a hundred percent weapon accuracy all the time. Uh, good God, way back in the early days, remember we used to complain that every single shot anyone took was a headshot and like. Well, that was season one. Season one, every shot was a head. I think we, the whole thing, like hands down, every single shot was a headshot. Right. Genius. I mean, when you think about it, they need to train the audience to know that zombies require headshots to be taken down. So if you don't get it the first few times, you're going to get it the next 35 times they make headshots until eventually everyone gets it and they can start being a little more creative with their shooting accuracy. Yeah. And when they get shot in the, uh, in the chest, when the zombies get shot in the chest, uh, we can act collectively go, oh shit, that's not going to work. Exactly. Because it's, uh, you know, excuse me, whether it's a headshot or uh, a center of mass shot, uh, it's a storytelling device, right? Right. In in the zombie apocalypse, it's a way of telling the story about the uh, battle with the zombies. Either you don't know that you need to take a headshot, or you weren't lucky enough to take a headshot, or you fired uh, a weapon on full auto, auto and got thirty seven headshots all in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it's a it's a storytelling device. And when you uh, need to blow somebody up, you stick a grenade in their mouth. Uh, and that probably will take care of, uh, you know, at least a piece of the shrapnel will be a headshot yep. or a piece of your jaw. That's right. Uh, well, you know, that comes off in the uh, subsequent explosion. Uh, yeah. Good fun. Very, very good fun. All right. Well, so who's next now? I'm confused. Is it you or me uh, announcing the next one? It's me. And we have a call from Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, joking. Uh, we have a call from Jason. Funny. Uh, here we go. Jason. Jason calling Jason. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Jason from Osaka, Japan, and uh, I have some comments about part two of the pilot episode. Uh, overall, I liked it. Uh, I especially liked when Eugene uh, revealed that he was a virgin. That reminded me of a scene in The Simpsons when Ned Flanders did the same, when he was accused of having sex with Mrs. Krabappel in the school. However, a lot of the scenes in the subway tunnels were utterly confusing to me. For example, why did they go into the train car in the first place? Wasn't their objective to continue down the tunnel? And when they got into the train car and they found out they were stuck, why didn't they just climb back up top? There were no zombies up there. Later, Maggie comes in through the bottom of the train, and I thought, oh, they can escape through the bottom. But they didn't even consider that. Later, they're very worried by zombies coming through the subway door from uh, from another train car. Why would they be worried about this? Isn't this a natural choke, paint, choke point? It's uh, one of the most easily defensible positions there is. Just kill a few zombies and the doorway is blocked. Later, we see them trying to break through a door 
that they know is uh, barricaded on the other side by seats, but they continue to hammer away at the door. Why wouldn't you try to break the glass first and then move the chair that's blocking the door? Anyway, love the show. Thank you, guys. Well, Jason, caller Jason, those are all Mm -hmm. excellent points. Yep. And it makes me think, as confusing and weird as I found all of the Commonwealth stuff, it sounds like maybe the train car stuff was equally confusing and weird, or maybe less confusing, but certainly as weird. Is a, there's a little weird points, but we can explain away some of it. Like uh, when they looked around the train, they saw that it was blocked, right? Yeah. Because Daryl had to go, the dog ran away, Daryl had to go and then climb underneath and then break through a wall to get out. Uh, so they, I assume there was some kind of collapse around the train. So that when they went over top, they found a way in from the top, but it was blocked beyond that point. So they had to go through the train to get beyond. Same with underneath. Uh, Maggie got underneath, but it was blocked and she had to do an SOS to get out mm-hmm. and they couldn't go back that way because it's full of zombies. Right. Right. Chasing her in. So there was, that was, that was no way out. If I may quote a, uh, Walking Dead comic cover. Uh, then, so... You couldn't go to the, you couldn't go up, you couldn't go down, you couldn't go back. Uh, going forward, the door being blocked, uh, yeah, break the glass. You have ability to break glass, I assume. I mean, if you can get, if you can pistol whip Negan and not cause any injuries, I assume that you can pistol whip a glass pane and break it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I hadn't, but. sorry, I hadn't really thought about that either. I mean, I saw him hammering that door. You know, breaking the glass potentially would have been easier, but what do you call that glass where you can actually see the the metal inside it? Is there a name for that? Reinforced. Okay, maybe. But uh, yeah, like I I feel like certain panes of glass on subway trains might have that, which would make it maybe a lot harder to bash through. But at the same time, it still seems like something you might do. It's going to be you know, easier to bash through that than like a metal door. So it does make sense. I would hope that the glass on subways is the same tempered glass on cars. Right. So it doesn't just kill you when you're in an accident. Yeah. You can break it. Like it's actually very brittle. And when it does break, it breaks into small, non-sharp pieces. Right. Because, you know, subway trains are great and all, but they also get into accidents. Uh, you know, there's been many an accident on a train where you need to get out and, uh, if maybe some of the only ways to get out is by breaking the glass. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I would, I would hope that it's not, uh, the kind of glass that's meant to keep prisoners in. Like I assume prisons have glass, like you described that are, uh, you know, has that mesh in it. So you can't just break the glass and get through. It's more of a, geez, just, this is a see-through metal wall is yeah. essentially what that is. So I, I'm hoping that the subways don't have glass like that, but I suppose they could. Yeah. You know, the subway is kind of a weird subway. Uh, very, very well lit for being underground, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. We do need to see people. <laughs> we do need to see people. Anyways, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. Some of the, what Jason, caller Jason suggested can be explained away. Uh, but there are some questions and I didn't really think of them as much while I was watching this. I think because I was so focused on, uh, on the questions I had on the Commonwealth side of things, I just kind of 
went with the subway plot and accepted it a little bit more. But yeah, some of it, some of it doesn't uh, make a ton of sense. Uh, but hey, if I didn't notice it at the time, it it's it's okay. I think I think we can let it pass. <laughs> All right, <laughs> right. So I don't know. Anyways, thank you, Jason, for that call. Next up is an email from Sam in Horwich, UK. Sam says, I think the bad memories Negan was referring to relate back to an episode where he and Father Gabe became trapped together in a caravan. From memory, this was after Rick and the boys had launched an attack on the sanctuary. The look was very similar with the silhouettes of the arms of the walkers reaching up around the windows while they got to know each other's backstories. I'm pretty sure Gabe was thinking the same, which is why he asked and didn't press uh, Negan on it further. So yeah, hmm. if you remember, uh, Negan and Father Gabe got stuck in a, uh, he calls it a caravan. It might've been a, a, a motorhome. What do you call those things? Uh, a Winnebago kind of thing, Winnebago, right? Winnebago, yeah. Yeah, and so they were stuck RV. in there, RV, with zombies out the windows. So that's what he was referring to when they were stuck together in that thing. And uh, listener Helen in Cardiff, Wales, wrote in about the same topic, uh, an email, and told us that this is when, or reminded us that this is when Negan delivered that shitting pants line, remember? Oh, yeah. Put on yeah. your shitting pants. Uh, so yes, that is exactly what it was. And, you know, the other night when we asked, what are we forgetting here? It was this. Well, thank you, Sam. And thank you, Helen. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes a little bit more sense now. Very good. Excellent. And that's when Father Gabe got sick too, right? Where he got his milky eye. Oh, is it? Yeah, maybe you're yeah. right. I think so. I think, yeah, he got really, really ill and we didn't know if he was going to die or what happened. Well, now I'm forgetting exactly when that happened, but I'll take your word for it. I, I, I'm guessing, you know, like I said, I've only seen all the episodes once. So that's true. All these reminders are fantastic. Yeah, they very much are. All right. Next, we have an email from Chris in the UK. Uh, Chris writes Maggie would have left Negan to die in Gage's place. There's a big difference between allowing, allowing someone to die and pulling the trigger yourself in cold blood in front of people you respect. Maybe those people would understand in the moment when tempers, tempers are frayed but they might not feel the same way later. It's possible the reaction to Gregory's execution factors in here. Granted, we didn't see it, this on camera, but Maggie murdered slash executed someone in public before, and she didn't like how it felt or how people reacted to her as a result. This is consistent with what Negan said was going on when he, when he talked about her wanting him dead in episode one. She doesn't want to just clip him in front of everyone. Anyway, I think she would take gauge style, take a gauge style opportunity if it came along and it's not quite the same as pulling the trigger. Yeah. So that's exactly what basically came out between the two of them, right? Like Maggie wants him dead. And I think she's just sort of hoping that it happens organically over the course of this mission. Uh, it was gauge stuck behind the door with the zombies approaching instead yep. of Negan. And I still disagree that they couldn't have saved Gage, but I think if it was Negan in that position, she absolutely would have just let him stay there and die for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So that's a good way of explaining it. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the other thing is like, I guess the whole point of that scene then was to give us some insight into Maggie's mentality now, right? She's a lot more hardened and 
she she's not going to take any unnecessary risks even to save someone's life if she feels it is sort of risky at all right i think i think it's yep. the show trying to give us a little bit more insight into what kind of person she is now versus the last time we saw her all those years ago you know mm. and it and it did when you think about it right she's going to let a a companion just die behind a door because there's you know a slight risk that saving him will put them all in danger right all right Thank you, Chris, for that. Next up is Jen in California. Jen writes, I really loved how Jeffrey Dean Morgan played Negan these episodes because unlike coming off like a pompous, power-hungry know-it-all, I felt like he was trying to honestly help the team. It just made me feel like this group doesn't deserve the new and improved Negan, even if he did leave Maggie to fend for herself. Negan has grown on me as a character, and I just don't get why he tries so hard to be liked by people who clearly don't like him. So there you go. Another uh, Negan apologist. My, uh, mm-hmm. my, my clan is getting bigger. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a growing clan. Yes. Uh, it's, it's hard not to be liked. Uh, I find it very difficult for people not to like me. Oh yeah. Uh, and it doesn't happen often. I'll grant you that, or at least they're polite to me and I can accept that as, uh, as, as being liked. But you know, I've been in situations where it's taking, taken a long time to get somebody to uh, warm up to me, okay, uh, work-wise, <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 you know, and sometimes it's been a challenge to uh, it just you know, I pour on the charm and it just doesn't seem to engage anywhere, and it's just it's it's a struggle. I mean, some people are just going to be immune to your particular brand of charm. It's just the way it is. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, no. I think it's more of a it just takes time and effort ah. to get there. Uh, I, I don't, the only, (laughs) this is going to sound weird. The only times that I've ever really struggled with people, uh, that I've not been able to, um, be friendly with, uh, they've been fired and it's not because I've done it or said or done anything. It just happens to be that they're the aggressor and then somebody else agrees with that that's the situation and they've been actually fired. And this has happened both with the company I work for and clients, right? When I I have a struggle with somebody on the client side and uh, it becomes apparent that there's a struggle, uh, the people I deal with at the client side have been fired by the client. Ooh. Uh, so it's, it's not me. It's not, I swear to God, it's not me. It's just, I'm the, I, I, I'm the receiver of this bad blood and, uh, it's tough. It's, uh, it's tough to take. So I can, I can be on Negan's side on this uh, as well, even though Negan's a, you know, uh, well, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've been, we've been over that. And for, for the record, uh, I, I liked you the moment I met you. Um, but like my wife, on the other hand, years went by where she was like that Jason guy. I don't know about that Jason guy. Yeah. You see, that hurts me. She's I, don't, com- I don't think, I don't think it's true, but <laughs> still saying that wounds me. She's, she's come around if that helps. <laughs> don't, don't keep doing that. You're hurting me. I'm sorry. It's not true. <laughs> you don't, you don't mean that. No, of course not. I mean, she could be completely indifferent to me, but I don't think she doesn't like me. No, not at all. <laughs> I think, uh, I think overall you're a very likable guy and you, you shouldn't worry about, uh, any of that. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, the planet earth in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mostly, Mostly harmless. harmless. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just try not to get anyone else fired. Okay. 
It's not my fault. I know. And they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They de- everyone has deserved it, in my opinion. Of course. All right. Next, we have an email from uh, Nathan in Sydney, Australia. I assumed the flares were for visibility so they could see when the walk, uh, when killing walkers. I know it didn't actually seem that dark, but in my mind, the subway car was only lit up for our viewing and was much darker for the characters in reality. Well, I mean, it would be in reality, like pitch black down there, right? It's under- There'd be no light whatsoever. It's under fricking ground. I mean, there'd be no light. So yeah, Uh, it's lit up for the purposes of a TV show. And, you know, I guess lighting a flare, if you need some light, makes some sense. So can we assume, all right, am I going to have to, I'm going to have to dial this back because Nathan makes a very good point that maybe it's darker for the characters and it is for the cameras. So everything that's happened underground, including that godforsaken cave uh, where all the walker, the, 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 uh, the whisperers horde was hiding out was extremely well lit for being a cave. And I remember uh, nitpicking about that. Yep. So am I wrong? Do I have to now assume that anything that happens in a dark place that the characters can't see, but we can? Here's the thing. Like, you have to assume, I mean, it would be silly to think that they're in pitch blackness and they can, they can do anything. Like they can do, you know, just move around or or whatever. Uh, So if you need to think about it in terms of, okay, it's probably darker than it looks in there. Fine. Uh, but in reality it would be pitch black, but that wouldn't work for anything. So you kind of just got to let it go. Uh, you know, I think the flare was lit here more for just the, the mood lighting of it all. They wanted the sort of red glow while she was color. Yeah. Well, sort of, but the red glow while she was telling this horrific story, you know, um, but, but it, it's all probably part of it, right? Yeah, it's going to be dark down there, so they light a flare and they can see a little bit better for a short time. But try not to think about it too hard because in reality, if it was pitch black, I mean, they wouldn't get <laughs> 10 feet down the tunnel before, you know, they all trip over something and fall down. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking of uh, the scene where Daryl's uh, running and gunning down the uh, the subway and shooting all the people or the zombies uh, and how he didn't have his trusty flashlight with him, so he could only see by the muzzle flashes. No, he had Never a flashlight. Mind. He was holding a flashlight and the gun when In, he was walking At the through. time? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. I was just, I was reminded of that movie I hated that you liked. It uh, starred Batman and Ned Stark, uh, where they were, uh, there was some kind of gun kata, and it was just, uh, there were scenes where you pointed the gun in a certain direction, and then you shot at the most op- optimally, uh, or average locations of where bad guys are when you're surrounded. And, uh, okay. do you remember that movie? One of the Starks. Which Stark? Ned Stark. Uh, John Bean. John Bean and which Batman? Uh, Christian Bale? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. That's it. Okay. Um, they were cops and they weren't supposed to feel emotions, but then, uh, Batman started feeling emotions. <laughs> okay. And Ned Stark had... I do recall the movie you're talking about, but the title isn't coming to me. Anyways, yeah, there was lots of gun, gun foo in that, right? Yeah, I don't think it was called gun foo. It was some kind of gun kata. Uh, it wasn't called gun foo, I don't okay. think. Because that's, that's, a, that's a thing now in the zeitgeist, right? Uh, so 
but there was uh, there were scenes where it was just uh, all you saw was muzzle flashes, and the whole thing was lit up, uh, you know, by the different muzzle flash muzzle flashes, and you could see, uh, you could see what what you call him, Batman, um, Christian Bale, Christian Christian Bale. You could see Christian Bale just lit up by gun flashes, and that's how I envisioned what was going on down in this tunnel. All right, that maybe we could see what was going on, but all they saw was what was lit up by muzzle flashes, and sure. flares, and stuff. If that's how you got to explain it to yourself, then I'm all for it. Uh, I just think generally, it would take a very specific style to do that, which they pulled off in this Batman movie you're talking about, uh, <laughs> non-Batman maybe. And in The Walking Dead, we kind of just want to see things a little bit more. I will say that overall, the episode was super dark, though. Like, I watched it first on my TV, and it felt fine. And the second time I watched it, I watched it on a computer screen because I was making notes, and it was super dark. Like, the TV looked a lot better than the computer. And maybe that's to be expected because, you know, it's an expensive 65-inch friggin' TV versus a cheap... uh, I don't know, 22 inch or whatever this is, computer screen that's hooked up to my iMac. So, uh, oh, man, you need to go out and buy a couple thousand dollar monitor. Is not what you need. Not doing that. No, the TV is my thousand, <laughs> couple thousand dollar monitor <laughs> and it does the trick. Right. Uh, but it, it was overall a very dark episode. Um, but it looked much better on the TV. So, right. Yeah. Let's, well, they uh, spend a lot of time working on blacks now for television. Oh, right? they do. Yeah. Yeah, to make blacks richer, because that was that's a big problem. And your twenty-two inch uh, piece of shit monitor from nineteen eighty-seven, I assume, uh, <laughs> not quite, but you know, close, <laughs> <laughs> really doesn't give a flying fuck about any kind of deep blacks. No, right? it's just like if it's dark at all, we're just gonna give you some shadows. And, and I wish my TV's not an OLED. I wish I could have afforded the OLED when I bought this. Uh, I don't know, two years ago. But I did not, and it was still an expensive TV, I thought anyways, but um, the OLED are the ones that have the really, really deep, dark black. Yeah. So, next TV. My eyesight is getting worse as time goes on, and uh, the high-quality monitors and televisions uh, just have no appeal to me whatsoever at this point. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on... uh, uh, It's not that my eyesight's bad, it's just that... uh, it's not what it once was. Well, it's a combination of I'm getting older and uh, I need uh, glasses to be able to read things that I didn't need glasses to be able to read in the past. Uh-huh. And I've stopped caring a lot about that stuff uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just my brain accepting the quality of my eyes. It yeah. just goes, well, maybe I shouldn't care about that anymore since uh, it's not really a thing that I you know, can do anything about. Well, you will, can, you sorry, can, will do anything about. You can wear glasses or you can go get laser eye surgery, but I don't think you'd catch me doing that. I'm fucking sensitive about my eyes. No, eyes are fine. I got no problems with people cutting and or lasing into my eyes, oh, uh, God. but you don't touch my hands. Do not touch my hands in any way, shape or form. <laughs> don't cut into my hands. Uh, you're not touching my hands. That is so weird. I mean, I'm, shake a, shake someone's hand. No, I got well, a hand not, thing. Not now. I just, hand injuries. I've got a hand injury issue. Oh. I cannot watch people with hand injuries and I still get freaked out about it. Uh, Tony Danza, I don't know if you know this about Tony Danza. Thumbs. He's got, he's got a fucked up finger. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's broken in. It's at a weird friggin' angle. Uh, I forget what TV show I was watching him. Like all, it's apparently it's been like that for 
uh, you know, most of his life since he was young. But uh, I forget what I was watching, but he put up his hands and his finger was all fucking flayed out to one side. And I feel bad because it's not really a thing that he has, A, any control over, or B, is a bad thing. But uh, my brain cannot accept it. It just can't do it. So weird. (laughs) It's weird. And hand injuries, even fake television depictions of hand injuries, I can't deal with. I just can't do it. All right. Well, that's that's creepy. We have gotten way off track here. Do you know who or what is next? You are next with Angie. All right. Angie, thank you, on the internet writes... Maggie's story is very similar to an episode of The X-Files named Home. It only aired once because it was so graphic. So, Jason, do you remember this episode of, of The X-Files? Oh, good Lord, no. I fell off The F- X-Files uh, quite a long time before the end of it. Nah, but you would have you known this. This was earlier on, I don't know what season, but it was definitely while you were still watching it. It's the one where they go to investigate this... Um, backwoods family living on a farm. There's a bunch of- diff- Oh, and there was a bunker in the field? Uh, I don't know. There's the, a bunch of family members with the physical deformities, and it turns out that they had their mother uh, upstairs, and there was a bunch of incest involved, and it was one of the most disturbing, upsetting episodes of The X-Files, even though it was quite well-reviewed, but it was so graphic and so controversial, especially at the time, that it- didn't really air again for a long time. I'm pretty sure it has now and it's available on streaming services and things like that. But it was a very controversial episode of the X-Files. And, you know, Angie's just pointing out that Maggie's story is a little bit similar to that when you consider women with their limbs cut off and being held captive and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, horrific. (laughs) All right. Well, maybe I'll go watch that episode. I do have the complete run of the X-Files. I just haven't watched them. Go look it up. It's got the Terminator in it, right? Uh, Later on. Later on, yes. Robert Patrick, that's right. No, the Terminator. Like I said, it's always the Terminator. He's always the Terminator no matter what happens. I'm sorry, Robert Patrick, but everything you're in, you're the Terminator. Yep, got it. Playing a character in that whatever it is. I remember we talked about that. That's right. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Tallahassee's twin brother, Regarding or re-Maggie's ghost story, my first impression was that this is Maggie's USS Indianapolis speech. And there's an asterisk there. This is in reference to uh, Robert Shaw as Quint in Jaws doing his monologue uh, about delivering one of the atomic bombs, uh, bombs in World War II. Yeah, and I put that there because it will become clear in the rest of this email, but just in case anyone was confused up front. Oh, that was your asterisk, that was- not... Okay, Tallahassee's twin brother's asterisk. Gotcha. Okay. Correct. So, uh, all right. So my first impression was that this is Maggie's USS Indianapolis speech. The intention is to maintain tension after action by getting viewers to utilize their imaginations to conjure a visceral, violent horror that could be problematic or difficult to film. Besides, a dorsal fin is scarier than a rubber shark. This is true, by the way. You'll see where Uh, this is going, yep. (laughs) Horrific horror doesn't need to be gratuitous, but instead prods at our primal fears. Just as Quint's motivation is a result of experiencing a very real horror of a hungry, unseen monster, Maggie's motivations, uh, as they may be revealed, may well be placed into context by her experience of violent sexual horror. In both instances, the narrator is fortunate to escape the immediate horror, but not its traumatic resonances. 
both Quint and Maggie end by dismissing the event with brutal finality. Quint says, we delivered the bomb, and Maggie says, I felt nothing. Yeah, so I, I thought this was a great comparison. I went and looked up the scene in Jaws where uh, Robert Shaw is, is delivering this speech, and he's he's talking about you know being in the water, and like a lot of men were eaten by sharks. However many went in the water, only a certain number came out. It's sort of this unseen monster that's like, pulling you down from below. Right. And it has, yeah. it has uh, traumatic, uh, effects and he, yeah, he finishes the speech with that, uh, sort of brutal finality to it all. We still delivered the bomb and Maggie gets through her speech about seeing all this and she tells it and says, I felt nothing. So I think it was a pretty apt comparison, not one that would have occurred to me. It's been an awfully long time since I've seen Jaws, uh, but a good one. So take away from that what you will and go watch Jaws because it's awesome. You should watch Jaws. It's got a fantastic wonder in that, uh, in that movie that really is uh, underappreciated. Yeah, for sure. What is that? A wonder is just a, a long single take. Ah. It's, uh, they're taking a ferry and the ferry halfway uh, across to the, to the island turns around mm-hmm. and it's just, it's all one shot. And the camera does not move. Usually in Wonders, the camera moves. Like in uh, Goodfellas, the camera follows uh, the follows them through the kitchen, down the stairs, through the kitchen, out, and then into the uh, where the tables are. Yep. And they put a table out, out for them. Whereas this one, the camera doesn't move, but the entire fucking set moves because the, uh, the, the ferry moves away from the dock, turns around, and then goes towards the other dock. And the three characters that are talking change positions. Uh, you know, around, so there, there is movement in the shot, but the camera does not move. Cool. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic wonder, uh, that, uh, that I really, really enjoy. So go watch Jaws is yeah. basically what that boils down to. Pretty much. I agree. Alrighty. And the guy's wearing a plaid suit and you can't go wrong with a plaid suit. <laughs> can't go wrong with a plaid suit. Yeah. Well, we were talking about buying suits last week. I'm going to, next time I get one, it might be plaid. Uh, don't get a plaid suit. And it's, well, if you're going to get a plaid suit, get a plaid suit now and wear it and enjoy it. All right. Right. Gotcha. If you need to get a plaid, if you need to get a suit because of some kind of event that requires an, a suit immediately, it means that uh, most likely <laughs> it's a funeral, first of all, which is bad. <laughs> yeah. The only other option I can think of is an emergency wedding, which uh, can happen. Kind of freaks me out if I think about it. Well, yeah. If you would need to wear a suit to an emergency wedding. <laughs> Uh, it makes me very uncomfortable to think about that. Fair enough. But plaid suits, you can just get and wear whenever you want. You just enjoy it. You're barbecuing out in the backyard. You can wear a plaid suit. I can't imagine why that would be a bad thing. No, sounds pretty fun to me. Yeah. All righty. Next, we have a call from Shane. And I do want to point out that there is a bit of a spoiler for Fear the Walking Dead in this call. So if you haven't watched Fear and you're worried about that, then I don't know, maybe skip it. But I mean, if you haven't watched Fear by now, you're probably not going to, so it's maybe not that big a deal. But yeah, just wanted to let you know. So here we go. Call from Shane. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. Um, Shane here from the UK. I've just had a theory since pretty much like since season two when Laurie first got pregnant with um, Judith. And that theory is, do you think the next generation, like those conceived and born after everything that's happened, are immune? The reason I'm saying this is um, in Fear the Walking Dead, Grace gave birth to a stillborn and not a walker. So is it possible that babies aren't affected by this? Also, this week, Maggie was talking about 
um, women, pregnant women with no arms and no legs and there was a walker version that fell down the stairs but the baby was still alive in the stomach so I'm wondering could the world be like resetting for the next generation is that how the whole thing's gonna end like you'll see Judith or Herschel get bit and nothing will happen they won't change they won't turn they won't die uh, it's, just, it's just a theory I've had I'm just wondering what you guys think um on a lighter note I do love the Maggie is evil talk please keep that up because it's hilarious it reminds me so much of the Enid is a spy talk and I miss that so I'm glad we're now getting <laughs> the Maggie is evil chat between you two so um, I'm going to go. Thank you so much. Um, take care and stay safe. Bye, guys. Thank you so much, Shane. So just on the second thing there, first of all, uh, I think as of right now, there is, I think it's a, it's a, there's a lot of nuance to this, right? Because Maggie's evil, sure, that's funny, and she's the villain, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, I think there is a lot more evidence currently on the show to uh, to, 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 that lends itself to the idea that Maggie is not necessarily telling everybody everything about what her goals are and is definitely a changed person and possibly changed for the worse, if I can say it that way, than there was for Enid being a spy. Like Enid being a spy was kind of fun and funny. I think Maggie being quote unquote evil might be a thing <laughs> might actually be <laughs> might actually be where the show is going and you know evil whether it's evil or just uh has her own agenda and she's going to let things like gage die to achieve it you know i think that could be what we're talking about so shane i'm glad you're enjoying it i just think it might actually not be that far-fetched that there's something up with Maggie. Okay, so uh, there's a few things here. One, I haven't given up on Enid's a spy. We all know that the head on the pike there was a clone. Okay, fair. So uh, Enid's still kicking around. Who's she spying for? I don't know. But, well, she's not a spy anymore. She's, you know, she's been brought in from the cold. So what Enid is, I'm not sure yet. Uh, Maggie being evil, you might be right uh, in that uh, Maggie might not be the bad guy, quote unquote bad guy of uh, this particular season, but she, there's something going on yeah. and maybe there's evidence for that something going on. And that is the hallmark of a really good written uh, bad guy. Like think of the Black Panther, the movie Black Panther. So we have uh, the King of Wakanda, who uh, you know is the Black Panther, and then we get a challenger to that of uh, Warmonger. Are we going to spoil Black Panther right now? You're goddamn right we're going to spoil Black, Black, Black Panther. Uh, all right. Okay. Just Come wanted to make it, sure. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you're not up to date, I, I don't I can't help you. <laughs> okay. Fair. Just <laughs> keep that in mind, everybody. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, you know... Uh, who is Warmonger? Is that his name? Yep. That was his name, right? Okay, so Warmonger comes along. He's not wrong, right? He just has a different approach for how he wants to achieve uh, the same goal, right? Uh, so he wasn't, I'm not going to get into the into the specifics, but he wasn't just, uh, you know, evil for evil's sake. Uh, and, uh, you know, the good guys being, you know, pure as the driven snow, it's, uh, it, it's not Superman and Lex Luthor. It's two nuanced characters that have, uh, 
you know, a, a similar goal, but different ways of wanting to achieve it. One is not something we want as the, uh, you know, as the audience and, uh, you know, supporter of the protagonist. Uh, but, uh, he wasn't necessarily wrong in his, uh, uh, in what he wanted to achieve. So maybe Maggie is on that same vein. She may not be, uh, entirely good or truthful or honest. And her, uh, her goals might be more manipulative and nefarious, but that doesn't necessarily make her the bad guy, uh, in quotes. So who knows what the hell's going on here, but it's, it's more than the, uh, uh, it's more than meets the eye. Yeah, I agree with 100% of, well, almost everything you said, except it's Killmonger, not Warmonger. And before God, thank anyone's- you very much. <laughs> I knew I was saying that quite, not quite right. Yeah, yeah. People are sitting at home pulling their hair out going, come on, come on. It's Killmonger. You can relax. <laughs> uh, but you're right. Maggie has an agenda. We might not know everything what it is, everything about it yet, but something is up. And whether she's good guy, bad guy, whatever- um, I think you're right. I think it's really interesting the way it's playing out. Uh, and I'm just incredibly amazed that you picked up on it, like before she even returned to the show, practically. <laughs> so, wow. So good on you. <laughs> well, if that's in, in fact the case, we still don't know what the hell's going on here. No, we don't. But it, to me, it's one of the most interesting things about the show right now. Like what's going on with Maggie? And I hope it's not nothing because that's going to feel like a huge letdown. Uh, true. You know, all righty. So back to the first part of Shane's, oh. uh, Shane's call around the, uh, you know, what happens to, uh, unborn babies. And yeah. I think Shane, what you're looking for is consistency and I don't think we're going to get it. Yeah. Um, the, here's the thing, like when she, Maggie's telling this story and she says, you know, there's something, I mean, that might not have been the word she used, but something moving around in this woman's belly trying to get out, like, I don't, my understanding was not that that was a zombie woman with an actual living baby inside her. I, my understanding is it was more confirmation of like zombie baby inside her dead baby that had reanimated as a zombie. So, uh, that's my understanding, um, which kind of disproves what Shane is, is looking for that people born post-apocalypse are, are immune somehow. Well, the, in both cases where we have the, uh, the stillborn baby, uh, as well as the baby in utero in this, uh, in this zombie, both babies died, right? Yeah. But one uh, came one, back and one didn't. One was a zombie. One was not. So that's where the inconsistency lies. You know, uh, whether or not people born after the zombie apocalypse are immune or not, uh, I don't know because we haven't had any of these kids born after the zombie apocalypse. We haven't had any of them die. So we don't know what's going to happen there. But the as far as unborn babies go, we have some inconsistencies and we don't know what's going on. I, I mean, I guess we don't know for sure that Grace's baby on fear didn't reanimate. We just didn't see it and they didn't really get into it because maybe they didn't want right. to go down that road at the time, right? Well, the fact that we're talking about this makes me feel kind of icky. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, if we, before we move on, I think, Shane, I don't think the show is going to address it. I don't think it's going to be a part of the final story for 
this show as it wraps up season 11. It, they're just not going to go there. They have other things to do, I suspect. Yeah. Uh, you know, this would be a great topic for a Walking Dead novel. If we ever get another one. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Not a topic. I don't know if we can, you know, hang a plot onto this, but something that's addressed in a novel. Fair enough. Well, somebody call J. Singa and see if he's willing to write it. Well, the, those were all about the governor, right? Uh, and post-governor, yeah. It, was, it post turned into, you know, Lily Call and her, her experience, but yeah. yeah. The world has moved on. So, you know, J. Bonansingo, I'm, I'm sure he would be fantastic at writing another novel. I just think we need to go somewhere else. All right, fair. Yeah. You know, like, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's start off on a space station. Just for the heck of it, and have the uh, whoever's on the space station get off. You know, I know that Last Man on Earth dealt with this, but get off the space station and land on an aircraft carrier. Uh, and then we're a thriving city uh, of post apocalyptic living people uh, have learned to uh, harness the nuclear power of a aircraft carrier to <laughs> grow crops. Always start on a space station. <laughs> Any well, good why would story you? starts on a yeah. space station, right? Okay. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Where the hell are we, Bill? Yeah, that's correct. All right, we have a, an email from Bill in New Jersey. See Thomas Howell. I love how they brought him back. He appeared as a writer for either the Kingdom or Hilltop in I think season nine Stradivarius episode when Michonne was escorting Magna's group to Hilltop. He had just one or two lines of dialogue and we never heard from him again. I mention this because although he ended up being a red shirt, at least we know he's been with the group for a while. Kind of the same thing with Gage. They couldn't, uh, they could have picked anyone for that role, but they chose someone who had some screen time in the past. Yeah. So see Thomas Howell is, um, Roy who disappeared with Gage and then Daryl found him in the, in the tunnel and we all thought he was dead, but then he was with them at the end until he got shot by one of the Reapers. So he has been around in a while. He's, for a while, I mean, he's been on the show. He's had a line here or there, always been a bit of a supporting actor. Um, but that's it. He's done now, I presume. Um, but as an actor, see Thomas Howell's been around forever too. He's acted in all kinds of stuff. Uh, so yeah, good to see him on the show uh, periodically. <laughs> It's it's weird. I looked him up. I know the name, but and I know he's been in things I've seen, but I can't recall him as an actor uh, in any specific role. Yeah. Uh, other than this episode in my whole life. Well, there you go. E.T., I mean, I've seen that many times. I don't recall him in that. The Amazing Spider-Man? Sure. I've never seen The Outsiders. Yeah, but this is what I mean. Like, he's done some stuff and, uh, you know, maybe not big roles or anything, but he's been around. Around the block once or twice, this guy. Okay, it's been on MacGyver, so I must have seen him. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've only seen like half an episode of MacGyver. Oh, really? Oh, geez. <laughs> I feel like that's the kind of thing you would watch over and over again. Oh, I can't get on board. That's like watching uh, computer hacking on TV. It's just, it's just not right. It's you not you can't right. Get it, you can't get it right. He, MacGruber is more realistic than MacGyver in my mind. Oh, my God. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Anyways, see Thomas Howell, good guy, but he's dead. Uh, his character's dead, I should say. See Thomas Howell, as far as I know, is alive and well. Hopefully yeah, living sure fine. his yeah. best life. Yeah. yeah. All right, next here is Kirsten on the internet. Kirsten writes, just a comment on Jason's clock ticking nitpick. <laughs> that is an Ikea clock, and it does tick. 
I had the same type of clock for years and it always takes me a bit out of something when I see it. It use, It's used often in movies and TV. This time what took me out is that it takes batteries, again with the never-ending supplies of batteries. There must be a better use than a clock. <laughs> so okay, I, I can't, go ahead. I think Kirsten and you, uh, I don't know, would be good friends because you're worried about the clock. She's worried about the batteries. I think these are perfect nitpicks and you guys would get along. Okay, so I'm willing to, uh, you know, those, those, uh, those school clocks, are from like the sixties. So, uh, I'm willing to, I went to school in the eighties and nineties, no. but the school was built in the sixties. I'm sure with the clock on the wall, cause they uh-huh. were all synchronized with the office. Okay. Right. Cause when you change the time, all the clocks times would change. It was really weird. Well, that's cool. Anyway, and the second hands were all precisely synchronized to, uh, uh the bell would go like six seconds after the hour kind of thing on all the clocks. It was amazing. That's neat. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. So ticking clocks, uh, they're easier to do. I think they're easier to engineer than sweeping secondhand clocks. So it doesn't surprise me that Ikea clocks are, uh, ones that tick and take batteries. Uh, I can't abide ticking clocks. They drive me up the fucking wall. I can't even when I, Remember when people used to wear watches? Yeah. Uh, Lots of people still do, for the record. Well, real watches, like with like a ticking hand and stuff, like a single use device. I don't know. On your wrist? Probably. They probably cost more more than they used to these days. Anyways, I don't know. Anyway, I used, I have, I've had many watches. I can't have a watch uh, in my bedroom. I can't, because I can't fall asleep to any kind of ticking sound because my brain just locks onto the rhythm and starts playing off of it, and it keeps me awake. My brain has been trained to mentally lock on to any rhythm that's going on, uh, so I can't have a clock. I can't have a watch in the bedroom. All watches that I've ever owned have been ha- had to keep be kept outside of the bedroom. I can't have a ticking clock in the house. It drives me fucking crazy. Ever I, since I was a kid, I don't know. Ticking clocks don't bother me that much, but I I do think they're kind of rare these days, but uh, according to Kirsten here, that Ikea clock does in fact tick. And I'm not surprised you see that same clock in like TV and movie productions all the time, because you just got to think it's like, Hey, uh, you, when (laughs) you there, uh, intern or whatever, we need a clock for this scene. Quick, go find one. You're going to run into Ikea, grab a cheap clock and bring it back. So yeah, there you go. I don't know. Uh, Well, that or Ikea has been, you know, sending clocks to AMC for a couple of decades going, please use my clock in your shows. Good point. Probably another one too. Probably happens, I'm sure. We might even give you some money if you decide that you wanted to do that. Yes, focus on the time for a second because it helps frame where, how long the scene takes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I really can fall asleep to? What's that? Sitcoms. Just the the (laughs) cadence of the speech patterns in sitcoms uh, I just, I'm out like a light. It's funny. You can't handle a ticking clock, but you can handle a boring sitcom conversation. Puts you, or maybe a funny sitcom conversation puts you right to sleep. The Simpsons. I used to fall asleep to the Simpsons all the time. Interesting. It's fantastic. Yeah. Just out like a light or uh, true crime podcasts. Ah, good. I put those on and fall asleep to those well as well. And I feel bad because I enjoy listening to them and following along, but I also find them very relaxing and I fall asleep to them. 
Well. So, yeah. Any, you know, tell me a story about uh, someone murdering his whole family. You just fall asleep like a baby. Out like a light. All right. <laughs> Out like a light. It's really quite weird. Should I read this last one since it's kind of about you or do you want to do it? Sure. No, you go ahead. All right. Laura in Buffalo, New York writes, why, Jason, why a bag of hair? I was horrified. Then I laughed. Then I was horrified again. So, I, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I have a hair thing as well. A bag of hair kind of freaks me out. Uh, if I if there's even the hint of what possibly could be a hair in any food, I'm out. Like I, the appetite gone. I will not finish even something I've. It, oh, just thinking about it right now really kind of fucking makes me gross. Feel gross, but. I, yeah, any hair and food, even if it's my hair, like I'll get some of my beard hair or mustache hair will come off and go into my food. And I know that that shit's going in my mouth anyway. Like I know full well where that's been. Yeah. Uh, it's my hair in my food that I made. If I see it in there, I'm done. I'm fucking out. Well, okay. Wasn't it? I don't want this to take forever because I feel like we've gone on a lot of rat holes this episode, but was it, was it Jerry Seinfeld? Who's, who made the joke or one of his bits was you will kiss another person's head and hair, but if one of those hairs in your soup, it's like the most disgusting thing ever. Uh, yes and no, <laughs> uh -oh. you know, it, it depends. As soon as the hair is not attached to a human being, it becomes super gross, right? It's like, a, okay. it's like looking at, uh, someone you love, uh, that you've loved for decades and you're absolutely madly in love with them, and you know full well there's a skeleton inside them right now. But if that skeleton was outside of that person, you would freak the fuck out. I don't know if that's the same thing, but uh, okay. Um, weird. Yeah, all right, okay. So, yeah, and I absolutely agree that the hair freaks me out. Hair in a drain I can't deal with. My wife used to make me clean the hair out of her sink. You have to do and, that at uh, some point. Like it just, it builds up. No, I, I know, but I, I noped out of that pretty freaking quick after, after a while. I'm like, I can't do it. I, I, like I would be in there pulling uh, gagging and it's just, oh God, I, sorry. It's, <laughs> I can't even talk about this. So Laura, when you say why a bag of hair, I don't know, but I assumed in my mind, I was going to nice dry, uh, you know, barbershop floor hair, right? Like it's been washed before it was cut, before uh -huh. it landed on the floor, is scooped up, put into a hair, it's all into a bag. It's all the same person's hair. It's not like a whole bunch of people's hair all mixed together. Uh, so I, my, in my mind, I was envisioning the best options possible, right? Not like a bag of wet hair that I just pulled out of the drain. <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So why a bag of hair? I don't know, but I'm as freaked out as you are. All right. Well, thinking next, about it next week when we choose another winner in our Talking Dead season eleven prize marathon or whatever the hell we're calling it, uh, it'll be some other container, not a bag of hair. And it's not even going to be a hat because that might have some hair in it. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. I'll I'll find something a little more uh, antiseptic to talk about next next. <laughs> Perfect. Time. What if you walked into a hotel room? And there was one single hair on the bed that just was missed by the, by the cleaners. What would you do? Well, you In see, the thing is, here again is the benefits of my failing eyesight as I get older. Oh, you wouldn't I even see it. I probably wouldn't see that. <laughs> but if I put, if I was eating something and I saw the hair, 
or even if I, I, I haven't eaten cheese in like almost a year now. Uh, it's been like since last New Year's, the last time I had freaking cheese. But I loved pizza. And when you have pizza, there's stringy cheese. Sometimes the stringy cheese, as it starts to congeal, sort of feels like a hair, kind of. And even that turns me off on eating something I absolutely love. So, uh, yeah. But the hair on a, on a sheet, I probably could deal with because, you know, logically, there's more than hair on that sheet. There's oh. more than hair on the bedspreads. Let's, let's not go there. Yeah, there's, you know, do not ever go to a hotel with black light. Just that don't idea. do it because you'll be tempted to turn it on and you just don't want to do that. No, you do not want to do that. All right. Well, can we move on from hair? Yeah, yeah, I think we should. Okay, good. We've got one more call here. It's from Michael. I don't remember what Michael's talking about here, so let's hope it's not hair. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Michael from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I've actually called and left a voicemail before. Uh, there are people like me and others who have low vision issues or, or dark sensitivity or light sensitivity, sensitivity, I guess it would be issues in watching the show. And, and I've, I've kind of uh, grown a little bit more disinterested in the show as time has gone on, just with the, the darkness and the contrast and all the, the images that are on the show. Uh, but I didn't even realize that season 11 had started when it did. Uh, caught your podcast and really loved that. And, and I watched the episode too. And I just, I, I've really become disinterested in it. And I'm not going to rage quit. I'm just going to disinterest quit. And I, I'm kind of done with watching the show. Uh, I really don't care how it ends to see it unfold on the screen. But I do love your podcast. And I actually love your perspective and your discussion on the show because you share things that, because number one of, of the vision sensitivity that I wouldn't pick up. And number two, you add a perspective to it that I just, a lot of times the, the references just go right beyond me. So I, you know, I know that the show, the, the viewership is declining and I think I've watched the numbers for the last couple of episodes. It's really getting to an all time low. And, and I don't know if, if the show definitely seems like it's run its course, but your podcast still is, is, is awesome. And at this point, it's gotten to that point where your podcast is more interesting to me by far than the show. But I just wanted to say thank you for the show. Um, it's, or for the podcast. It's been a great run. I've listened to you the whole time and I'm going to continue, continue to listen to you because y'all are just awesome people. Thank you for all that you do. Well, no, thank you, Michael, for, yeah. for listening. And, um, I got another email from someone. It actually might've been Michael as well. I'm not hundred percent sure about this same thing where people with, um, some kind of vision impairment, uh, you know, can or cannot watch the show, but also listen to us and listen to us go through scene by scene and break it down and talk about it. And I've been told a few times by Michael and other listeners that this really enhances their appreciation for it. So uh, I just wanted to play that uh, to let people know that, you know, there are, there are others out there that are sort of experiencing it this way. And that it makes me feel really, really good that we can sort of enhance your, your, uh, enjoyment of, of the show because of what we do here. So thank you so much, Michael. And thank you to everybody else. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I, I agree with you. Thank you, Michael. That warms, if I have cockles in my heart, it, uh, it warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> I'm not sure what a cockle is, but if I have them, they're warm. Jason doesn't know what a cockle is or if he has them or not, but. He knows something is warm. 
Does everybody have cockles? I assume so. I I guess so. I don't I know. I gotta look that up now. But yeah, yeah uh, no, that makes me uh, that makes me happy and feel all kind of warms warms and fuzzies. Yeah, very much so. All right, everyone, that is it for our feedback for season eleven episodes one and two of The Walking Dead. Thanks to everyone who sent in messages and calls and all that stuff. We are coming back uh, very soon next week with our next, or well, with our podcast on episode three. If you'd like to do a title read, by all means, go look up the title of the episode. I think it's Hunted. I'm just doing that from memory, though, so please verify that. And, uh, and, and record yourself saying that, and we'll do some title reads next time. Um, fingers crossed, Jason, that our recording schedule will not be messed up next week. I have to take this computer in for a repair. And if, oh, I, and if I don't get it back in time for Monday, I'm a little worried because uh, I need it to record. So let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and Apple, do me a solid here. Get it done. Get this thing back to me because I want to be recording. Oh, you got uh, you have a critical issue that is time-sensitive and you're about to hand over the critical device to a major corporation, hoping that they return it in a uh, a timely manner. And crap, I just realized that Monday is Labor Day, so they're not going to be open oh. anyways. So shit. Oh, balls. then we got another week. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, because The Walking Dead's going to air, but it's Labor Day. All right, shoot. Well, we'll have to figure that out. Uh if you're listening to this and there isn't a podcast immediately next Monday, you now know why, but we'll get it out to you as soon as possible, um, you know, later in the week, next week. Anyways, um, we'll figure that out if we can. I'm glad we kind of talked through that on the air, because why the hell not? Uh, yeah, it's important in, in times like these to remember that technology makes our lives easier. Yes, it is very important to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, all right. Well. It's not making it easier right now, but what is easy is sending in your thoughts and comments. So thanks to everyone who did that. And if you'd still like to send in a message, you can do that by visiting our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top and you can record a message that will come right to us. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or send your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Alrighty. Well, let's hope everything falls into place and we get a podcast out next week. Either way, though, do some title reads and watch the episode on Sunday night to see uh, to see what happens. So until next time, everyone, thank you so much. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.